anybody that says, I'm totally prepared when I come up to speak and I've got it all nailed down, is not telling the truth. I've been, I've been really uh, uh, struggling, not struggling, but just concerned that what, what the Lord has laid on my heart is exactly what he wants me to talk about this morning. And it was confirmed during the breaking of bread. Um, two of our men got up and uh, the, the one song that Scott gave out, thank you, Scott, for that one, number 15, it goes right along with what we're going to be talking about here. And then also, Nick, your uh, passage in uh, John chapter 8 kind of ties in with what we're going to talk about. So that, uh, that really uh, just uh, blessed my soul. And, and uh, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 16 this morning. We're going to see how far we can get through it. I'd like to, uh, with time allowed, that we would be able to get through the whole chapter. I'd like to read it if I could. And then we'll uh, make comments. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. He that is the Lord said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward." Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking away my steward, taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will, um, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. 
And whosoever marries her who is divorced from her husband committeth adultery. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he, then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also should come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. As Boyd Nicholson would say, the most important part of the meeting is now over. The reading, of God's, the reading of God's word is the most important thing. Um, the Lord was uh, talking to his disciples primarily. And of course, if you look uh, in the previous chapter, chapter 15, um, you'll find out that um, he, you know, he was talking about three lost things. Lost sheep, lost coin, and a lost son. And so he continues on, and this teaching was done on the Sabbath. And he was basically now talking to his disciples and the Pharisees. Now this section is divided up into three parts. You have number one from uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, and, it goes all, and uh, the whole section goes to uh, verse 17, verse 10. But this first section goes from chapter, uh, verse 1 to verse 13. And you can see where it breaks up, because in verse 14 he says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard, him, uh, heard these things, and they derided him. And then finally, at the beginning of uh, chapter 17, and he said to his disciples. Now, by the way, I wasn't even supposed to be speaking this morning. Actually, I had... Um, scheduled Trevor uh, months ago. And of course, we all know uh, what Trevor and Leo and the family are going through right now down there with their daughter having that brain aneurysm. And so you might want to pray for them. We're, we're working on whether Trevor should move uh, Allison from 
the hospital where she's at to either another hospital in Mexicali or across the border to the children's hospital. Uh, we got several people working on that. You might want to pray about that. And so <clears throat> this particular section, um, he's talking about two rich men. And first of all, the rich man in verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, uh, is basically uh, Jehovah. And it looks, when you first read that first story, you think that for a moment that the Lord is actually condoning dishonesty. Because this steward, a steward is someone who is in charge of something else for someone. Uh, this steward was very dishonest. But when you read it, you find out that he wasn't condoning his dishonesty at all. What he was condoning was his shrewdness. And we're going to see how that applies to all of us. And how that we are to be wise in, in these certain things. You've got to realize that he was talking to Pharisees who were absolutely driven by a love of money. That was the thing that just possessed them. Uh, the whole the whole time, and so we see that the Lord gave them this illustration, and so the Lord used both of these stories to teach a lesson regarding money. So remember that the the lesson in the beginning of sixteen and then at the end of sixteen has to do really with money or uh, stewardship of things that were given. In story one, he reveals the cleverness of a dishonest steward. And we know that he was clearly wrong. He had absolutely no right to do what he did. First of all, to uh, embezzle the, his master's funds. But then second of all, to sit down and tell the creditors, you know what, cut your bill in half and I'm going to write paid, paid in full on it. He had no right to do that. But he was very clever. And this is the part that the Lord was trying to emphasize, his cleverness. He tried to uh, make himself safe by robbing his master again. He said, as we read down here, what am I going to do? He says in verse 3, he says, I cannot dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. Now, we don't know if it, he said he couldn't dig because maybe uh, he had a physical impairment, or he was too old, or whatever, but you kind of wonder, he says, I can't dig because uh, he didn't want to. <laughs> he just didn't want to. And he says, well, and I definitely don't want to beg. Well, there we have a problem of pride. So again, he's not being condoned for those things. But he is condoned for how he went about securing his future. And so the Lord said that the um, going down uh, verse 8. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the Now this is the key right here. For the sons of this world are more shrewd. And the key is in their own generation than the sons of light. Now, how is that? How is, this, how is the son of this world? Now, who are the sons of this world? Well, he's talking to the Pharisees. They were the sons of this world. 
Now, they had been given a stewardship. And what stewardship had they been given? Well, they'd been given the law. They'd been given the prophets. They'd been given the covenants. And what did they do with them? They didn't do anything with them. In fact, they discounted them. And they added their own traditions and their own uh, things, so much so that people couldn't get to heaven. They were putting so many roadblocks in front of people that uh, they couldn't get to heaven. But then when the Lord Jesus came along, he said, you know, the law was from Moses and it stopped at John the Baptist. That's where it stopped. Now the kingdom of God is from then on. And so the Lord Jesus was saying, this is a new covenant. You have squandered the old one, but this is the new, the new covenant. And so, again, we, we see that the Pharisees were the sons of the sage. And the disciples were the sons of light. And so the Lord was comparing motive and method between the two. And so, how does that relate to us? We have all been given a stewardship. Every one of us in this room. If you are here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then what happens is that you're hearing the gospel, and that's a stewardship. But what is the gospel? The gospel is that we're all born sinners, every one of us. We all deserve to be separated from God in a place that we'll find out at the very end of this chapter is a place called hell. The Lord Jesus Christ, knowing our condition, knowing that we can't save ourselves, came down from heaven and went to the cross of Calvary. And there he allowed the people that he had created to nail his hands to the cross. He shed his precious blood. And that shed blood paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. It didn't cover them. It paid for them. And now God is offering you a pardon, a complete pardon, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. And so if you've done that, then you're born into God's family. You're the children of light, as we've read here. And now you're given other stewardship. And it talks about here... Let's go down in verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into, everla- into an everlasting home. Well, he's referring to money. Okay, that's basically the theme of this whole chapter, is, is how do you use money? And he refers to money as unrighteous mammon. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say money is evil, Okay. Money is not evil. Money is amoral. It's neither righteous or unrighteous. It's, it's neutral. It's how you use it that determines whether it's righteous or unrighteous. And these Pharisees that he was talking to were using it in an unrighteous way. What were they doing? They were, they were just accumulating all this money so people could say, wow, you are a successful person, and then they would give you esteem. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. That's not what money's for. 
money is to be used so that as a result, there will be people waiting for you in heaven. My neighbor across the street, he's a retired businessman. He started, you know, working young man, uh, built up a, a pretty good uh, uh, business in uh, making tortillas down in uh, Chino. And uh, he, he worked, he told me he worked seven days a week. And I don't know, something like 16 to 18 hours a day, you know, for years and years and years. And now he's kind of enjoying it. And he says, well, I, he says, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to start giving it away to my, my children because he says, you can't take it with you. And I, I agree with him. And I said, well, Sal, you're right. In fact, you know, if you ever want to check this out, if you can take it with you, look at everybody, look at every hearse that you see. And look at the very back bumper of the hearse and see if you see a trailer hitch. There are no trailer hitches on hearses. Why? You can't take it with you. If you see a hearse going down the road with a, carrying a, 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 a trailer, or, you know, there's something wrong with that because that, that's not right. You can't take it with you. And so I said, well, Sal, yeah, you're right. You can't take it with you, but... You can't send it on ahead. He goes, what? I said, yeah, you can send it on ahead. The Bible says if you use, and he's an unsaved man, and I, every opportunity I get to, I try, uh, get the gospel to him, um, I said, I said when, I, when I put money in the offering, that money is used to spread the gospel so that others can hear and get saved, and then they'll be in heaven waiting for me. And that's what we do. So you can take money and you could go out and buy lottery tickets or go to Vegas or whatever you want to do. Or you could take it and, for example, like we did just a week or two ago, uh, give it to Trevor, you know, Trevor's family that's in need. You, you could do it either way. You've got a choice. Now, what about anything else? Is it just money? No. How about your house? How about your house? You know, I mean, there's some people that their houses are open to anybody that comes in, you know, and they um, uh, have missionaries over or speakers over and that sort of thing. There's other people, they might as well just put this big red sign in their front yard, no trespassing, you are no human entry allowed. I mean, come on. So you can use your house either to bless or to blast. And that's what some people do. What about your car? What about my car? Well, I could use it uh, on a Sunday to take my family to the beach or to Disneyland. Now, there's nothing wrong with the beach or Disneyland. But on Sunday morning, you should be here. So my car can either do that or it can bring my family or the neighbor kids here or to Awana or Brigade or whatever it might be. So, again, these items, your house, your car, your money, they're not moral it's the way you use them that the Lord was trying to get across to these Pharisees. And so he says, he didn't say make friends of unrighteous mammon, but he says make friends by means of unrighteous mammon. And that, of course, is the thing that we need to uh, keep in mind. Now, this is exactly opposite of what the steward did. He robbed his master 
Whereas Jesus tells us to use those things that he is given to us. Um, Matthew 6.20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where the thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So whatever the Lord gives us, we need to use that to see that people are greeting us in heaven. He talks about the fact that the people today are clever, more clever than, than the saints. Because they're preparing for their future, but how are we doing it? How are we preparing for our future? One, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but the one story that really got to me, uh, Boyd Nicholson talked about this many, many years ago. And there was a young boy in his assembly that just got a new job, got a paper route. And at the, uh, his first uh, money that he got from the paper route, he was going to set aside a portion of it to give to the Lord. And so he, it was $1.35, and he came to Boyd Nicholson. He said, I want to give you this uh, for, for, uh, as unto the Lord. Well, Boyd had a decision to make. What, are you, what do you do with $1.35? <laughs> I mean, you know, do you put it, buy gas and put it in your tank and then it's gone? Or what do you do with it? Well, he knew of a friend that was a gospel preacher on the radio down in Miami. And this uh, gospel uh, on the radio would go out all over the place, all over the, um, the Caribbean in that area. And so <clears throat> he wrote a letter and uh, to this man, he said, well, see what you can do with this. And so what the, what the evangelist did is that he took that money and he bought a cassette tape. And for you young people, a cassette tape's about this big and it's got two. Yeah. Um, anyways, so he bought a cassette tape and put a gospel message on it and they played it over the radio. And a man in jail in Cuba heard the gospel message and got saved in jail. He wrote a letter to the radio station saying, I heard the message uh, a couple weeks ago and I got saved. And so the man sent that letter to Boyd and then Boyd showed that young boy what his dollar thirty-five has done. So that man that got saved is going to be welcoming that young boy in heaven. What are we doing with our money? We've got to be very, very careful with our money. Because first of all, I, I made a mistake. It's not our money, is it? It's not our money. It's the Lord's. Everything that we have, every, we, we come from the womb naked and we're going to go to the grave naked. We don't have a thing. Everything that we have is given to us by the Lord. And so it's very important that we do that. And then he says here, in verse 10, he says, And he who is faithful in what is little, or least, is faithful in much, also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Now, when I, I always used to look at this verse in this way. If you start off little, okay, and if you're faithful in little, then the Lord will kind of get you up there and then give you 
much if you're faithful down here. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. I thought it did. But take a look carefully at what this verse says. This verse says, if you are faithful in little, you will already be faithful in much. See? If you're faithful in much, you're going to be faithful in little. It's not a progression. And so, what is the little? You're faithful in little. That's unrighteous mammon. You know, your, your money, your car, your house, whatever. That's the little. If you're faithful in little, you're going to automatically be faithful in much. What's the much? The spiritual things of Christ. The blessings of God. Those spiritual truths. Though that's the much. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's the much. And all these things, the little, will be added unto you. And then he goes down. Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Well... Jumping ahead of myself here. <laughs> the, um, then he goes in verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. Now, that's a very, very interesting term, derided. And here we go. I'm going to get my notes straight here. It's a Greek word, ekumaterizo, ekumaterizo. It's a Greek word that actually comes from the word snout, the word deride. And it means to, like a buck snort, <laughs> those of you that are hunters. They were, you ever heard someone that, pfft, 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 you know? <laughs> When, they, when you say something, they just, that's how their response is. And you, want, you ask them, can you be a little bit more uh, articulate in your response than just, you know. But that's what they were doing. They were doing it, and, and then uh, it means to literally put your nose up. And the word ek comes before that. It means that they did it out loud. So they're in the back there and just making these weird noises, showing their disdain for the Lord Jesus. And then the Lord Jesus turns from talking to the whole audience, including his disciples, and he goes right to them. And look what he says. Verse 15. You, Pharisees, are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your heart, your hearts. For what is highly esteemed amongst men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John... Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it's really interesting, that, that term pressing into it, it means violently getting into it. In other words, <clears throat> these Pharisees, who were supposed to be the guardians of the law, they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel, were doing everything. They weren't leading. They, they were putting roadblocks in front of everybody. So they couldn't get into the... 
and, and the, uh, the kingdom of heaven. So the way that the people got into the kingdom of heaven is they had to climb over all these prejudices that the Pharisees were putting in front of everybody. And so the only way you could get in was to be climbing over all these biases and prejudices and that sort of thing. And if the Pharisees themselves wanted to get in, they had to do the same thing. And so he says, verse 17, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. And then he goes on, he says, whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whosoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And I first saw that, man, that, that sure doesn't seem to fit into the, the whole part of this, this uh, chapter. But it really does. Because see, they were adulterating God's law. They were setting it aside and putting themselves in place of the law. They were committing adultery spiritually. And so, and quite positive, this is where when Nick got up this morning and shared in, in John chapter 8 about that woman that was caught in adultery. And, uh, you know, they said, uh, hey, we caught this gal in adultery, Lord, uh, our master. What are we going to do? What should we do? The law says we're supposed to stone him. Stone her. And it's always interesting when you look at that is that we're, okay, here's the girl, but where's the guy? Right? So who knows? It might have been a setup job. We don't know. But the thing is, is that he starts writing on the ground. And like Nick, Nick you said, and I'm curious too, what did he write on the ground? I'm thinking that he started writing the names of all the Pharisees in the audience who were guilty of that. And it says that they started walking away, the oldest to the youngest. But I'm so thankful that the Lord doesn't condemn us. He came to save us, and that's exactly what he was doing. And then, these, after this verse 18, these Pharisees were knocked back on their heels. I mean, they, uh, they were off balance, and then the Lord comes in with the final thing, of verse 19, starting at verse 19, a very familiar part. He says, there was a certain rich man. Well, here we go, the second rich man in the chapter. There was a certain rich man. And, and of course, as soon as he starts saying that, you can see the, uh, the Pharisees identifying with this rich man. They said, oh, rich man, yeah, that's, that's my kind of guy. You know, and there, he's setting them up. And so he says, a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, it's interesting. This word sumptuous is the Greek word lampros, which literally means brilliantly, or we would use the word flamboyantly. I mean, he just really, really put on uh, the, the scene. You know, when he had his, this just wasn't just, you know, a buffet. This was big time. And he did it all day long. And so the Pharisees, you know, I'm wondering, you know, again, this is speculation. I'm wondering, they say, I wonder if he's talking about, what's his name that died a couple of weeks ago? You know, yeah, I bet you that. Because that guy, man, he was every day. I mean, I even went to one of his meals. It was pretty cool. So you're wondering if maybe they knew who the Lord was talking about. And then we see here, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. It's interesting. The name Lazarus means God is my helper. And you're saying, oh, wait a minute. This guy 
was laid at the gate. And by the way, even in the word, the gate in the word Greek means beautiful. His gate, I mean, this guy had a beautiful home. And this guy, this poor Lazarus was laid at the gate. In other words, he couldn't walk there. He was so sick that all he could do was be laid at the gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table in verse 21. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The only kindness that was shown to this man was by the stray dogs on the street. It wasn't from the rich man. Now, it doesn't say that he didn't receive any crumbs from the rich man. Notice that. Because if you read the chapter before about the prodigal son, remember he was out in the field feeding the, the, the hogs, the pigs, and it said he desired to eat what he was feeding the hogs, but he was not allowed to. They wouldn't even give him that. Well, it doesn't say that here. So he might have gotten crumbs, but even if he did get the crumbs, the rich man was totally unaware of it. Totally unaware of it. He should have used his unrighteous mammon to take care of this man, but he didn't. And again, remember, the whole theme of this chapter, chapter 16, is the proper use of money and how God looks at money. And so here... In verse 22, so it happened that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And the one thing that we notice about this is that it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. We all have an appointment. And that appointment, Hebrews 9.27, is that it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Every one of us in this room is going to be at that appointment with one blessed exception, and that is if you're, if you're saved and the Lord Jesus Christ comes, that's an appointment you won't have. But if that doesn't happen in our lifetime, everybody in this room is going to die. And so what happens? Well, the explanation here is really interesting he doesn't mention anything about a place called purgatory. There's no such thing as, a, as that. That's made up by man. There is no purgatory. You either go to Abraham's bosom, which is the idea of being in heaven, or you're going to be in a place of torment immediately. And so <clears throat> it says that the, the beggar died, and the rich man died, and the rich man was buried. It doesn't say that the the beggar, it doesn't say Lazarus was buried. Because typically what they would do in that day would take these people, the, these beggars and whatever, and they wouldn't even bury him. They would take him to a place outside the gates of Jerusalem called Gehenna. It was an outside dump and refuge pile, and they would just toss the bodies there. There was a perpetual uh, burning there. But the rich man got buried. You can imagine that funeral. Oh, it must have been really spectacular. If he ate sumptuously every day, he probably had a five-star funeral. Doesn't matter. You know, they asked, they asked so much, how much did he leave behind, a rich man? And the answer was, he left everything. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. You leave everything behind. And then notice from verse 23. And being in torments. Notice it says torments, plural. Not just simply a torment, but torments, plural. 
in Haiti, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. In other words, I want you to do for me which I didn't do for Lazarus. Oh, really? Hmm, okay. And send Lazarus, again, he's thinking he's in charge. He says, I want you to do this, Abraham. I want you to blah, 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 blah. No, you're not in charge anymore, rich man. You're not calling the shots anymore. It's over for you. He says that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Joe Reese, uh, in one of his messages, talks about different types of flame. You know, we first of all hear about what's the hottest flame? Well, first of all, we think of the red flame. And then we discovered that there's a flame that's even hotter than red flame, and it's the, the, white, uh, the blue flame. And then there's a hotter one than that, and there's the white flame. But the hottest flame wastes no energy on light. It's a black flame. That's the hottest flame of all. Is a black flame. You can't. There, there's no energy wasted on light. And so that's what this man was experiencing. And then, of course, in verse 25, Abraham said, "Son, remember, in your lifetime, you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you're tormented." And a lot of people think, "Well, yeah, okay. So if you've got it really good here, uh, then you're gonna. It's gonna be opposite, you know." And that sort of thing. And that's not the reason why he's in hell. The reason why he's in hell is not because he even didn't reach out to Lazarus. That's not the reason. The reason is we're going to find out here in just a little bit. And he says, besides all this, between verse 26, between us, uh, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those uh, from here to pass uh, from And can those from there pass to us? Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you should send him to my father's house. He said, okay, that's plan A. That didn't work. Okay, plan B. Could you at least forget the water? Okay, just send him to my my father's house. Because I've got five brothers. What does this tell us about people that are in hell? They're very evangelistic-minded they, you know, people say, well, I'm going to hell because all my friends are there. Well, if your friends are in hell right now, they don't want you to be there. If they were able to communicate with you, they don't want you there. And that's real serious stuff. For I have five brothers, verse 28. They may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And again, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's saying to the Pharisees uh, through this uh, incident, and by the way, this is not a parable. This is an actual incident because in no parables in the New Testament by the Lord Jesus was a name, a proper name ever given. But here it talks about a man named Lazarus. So this is a real event. And so... He's telling the Pharisees, you know, you've got Moses and the prophets, and you better start listening to them instead of, and to the people, and don't listen to the Pharisees. (laughs) You listen to the Pharisees, you're going to end up right here with this rich man. 
And he said, look at, look at the, the brashness of this man. No, Abraham. No, Father Abraham. In other words, you're wrong. And you know, there's going to be people stand before God in that great white throne. And they're going to say, Lord, you're wrong. I mean, I've done all. You look at it in Matthew 7, 25. You look at all these things I've done. I've, I've uh, done miracles in your name. I've done all these things. And what is he going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. And so he says, no, Father Abraham, but if some comes from the dead, they will repent. There's the key. The reason why he is in hell is because he didn't repent. But he said to him, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they, uh, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I just want to end by sharing this, what I got. I, I searched for quite a while. <clears throat> and it ties in with uh, the, the song that we sang this morning in Breaking of Bread, number 15, Pardon. Let me uh, read that real quickly. In uh, number 15 in the black book, it says, Pardon from an offended God. Pardon for sins of deepest dye. Pardon bestowed through Jesus' blood. Pardon that brings the rebel night. And I remembered hearing a story about pardons. And uh, I finally looked it up and I finally found it. You see, what we need is a pardon from God. We need for him to say, you are pardoned from the consequences of your sin. Tremendous story here. And it starts off uh, reading Isaiah 55, 6-7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Listen to this. On December 6th, 1829, two men, George Wilson and James Porter, robbed a United States mail carrier in Pennsylvania. Both men were subsequently captured and tried. On May 1st, 1830, both men were found guilty of six indictments, which included robbery of the mail and putting the life of the driver in jeopardy. On May 27th, both George Wilson and James Porter received their sentences. Execution by hanging. Their sentences were to be carried out on July 2nd, 1830. Because, and here's another verse in Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. In other words, the Bible teaches us that the, the execution of the sentence, whatever it might be, needs to be done quickly. Well, James Porter was executed on schedule. George Wilson was not. Shortly before the set date, a number of Wilson's influential friends pleaded for mercy to the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, on behalf of their friend. President Jackson issued a formal pardon. The charges resulted in the death, sen uh, in the death sentence were completely dropped. 
Wilson would have to serve only a prison term of 20 years for his other crimes. Now, this is where it gets interesting. According to the official report, the United States versus George Wilson, Wilson was returned to court as they attempted to force the pardon on him. It is recorded that George Wilson chose to do this. He chose to waive and decline any advantage or protection which might be supposed to arise from the pardon referred to. Wilson also stated that he had nothing to say and that he did not wish in any manner to avail himself in order to avoid sentence. So the case went to the Supreme Court and the Attorney General made the following comments. The court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property, and he may accept it or not as he pleases. Chief Justice John Marshall, again, this is uh, 1830, wrote the following in the decision. A pardon is an act of grace, proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws, which exempts the individual on whom it's bestowed from the punishment the law inflicts for a crime he has committed. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may be rejected by the person to whom it's tendered. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. It may be supposed that no being condemned to death would reject a pardon, but the rule must be the same in capital cases and in misdemeanors. In other words, George Wilson committed a crime. He was tried and found guilty. He was sentenced to be executed. A presidential decree granted him a full pardon, but George Wilson chose rather to refuse that pardon. The courts concluded that the pardon could not be forced upon him. Therefore, George Wilson chose to die. The Lord is offering pardon to each and every one of us. He will not force it on us. If we refuse the pardon, the pardon then for that person is not valid. And I just pray that this morning, uh, I, I pray that first of all we understand the proper use of money of, of um, using it in the service of the Lord, but also that we understand that everybody has been issued and has been offered a pardon from an offended God. But if you refuse the pardon, the pardon is not good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would reach into our hearts and convict us of things in our lives that are not right. Oh, Father, that we will use the things that you have given us, be it money, possessions, whatever it is, that we would use it, Father, so that we would have friends waiting for us in heaven. And Father, I pray also, if there's anyone here this morning who realizes that they're a condemned before a righteous and a holy God because of their sin. That they believe that the Bible is true when it says, for the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this free gift of a pardon is offered to them. Oh, Father, I pray that they will receive it and not ignore it or put it aside. Because, Father, none of us know the moment that we will breathe our last. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bless your word. Take us home in safety in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.